Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us in this episode of Taking the Road Less Traveled Through a Disrupted World with David Irvin and myself, Allie Stone. podcast is to have open-hearted, real conversations about our authentic journey through this disrupted time in our world. And we also feel that what we learn from this journey will be able to apply to an emerging new world when we come out the other side. In our commitment to make a difference to difference makers, we want to use this podcast to explore what's happening in this time in our lives and as well as what's happening in the lives of those of you who are committed to making a difference making a difference the authentic way. Now, David's mission is to connect leaders to their authentic selves, which inspires and enables them to have a meaningful impact on their organizations, communities, and even their families. David says leadership at its core is about influence and it has nothing to do with our titles or the letters behind our names or even the sizes of our offices. Leadership is about the capacity to inspire others to action. It truly is about making a difference. And Allie Stone has joined me on this journey as she has a deep understanding of what it means to lead authentically. She has spent the last 15 years of her career exploring what caring leadership looks like and how organizations can be built from the heart and still be truly successful. For Allie, leadership is life. She believes anything involving human connection is all interconnected in the experience of living. And she is passionate about working with other leaders who are inspired to create something similar. It is her belief that sharing her lessons will help other leaders gain deeper insights and understanding as to the infinite possibility that lies ahead for each of us when we connect with our hearts. All right, welcome everyone to another week of the Other Everest. Uh, This is a very special week. (laughs) We have a special guest here with us that I'm going to introduce in just a moment for you, but um, David met this beautiful lady and uh, suggested that she come on the podcast with us. And, And Dave and I were talking about how prior to COVID, we used to have a lot of different people come on the podcast. And so uh, our guest today is going to reignite that fire for us and really kind of (laughs) reopen our hearts to that experience. So I'm really excited for it. Today we have Annette Stenwick here with us from, she actually lives in Calgary. Now she calls herself a freedom facilitator. I'm going to ask some questions about this today because I'm curious. It's, she has quite the story. She's an author. Um, She's been a recipient of the Integrity Award for Personal and Professional Excellence. Um, She was a nominee for one of the Fearless Women in Calgary, uh, you know, and the list goes on and on. So I am so honored and excited to have you here to join us today. So welcome, Annette. Thank you for being here with us. Well, thank you for the invitation. I, I, uh, I just feel very honored and privileged to be part of it. And I hope that whatever... Whatever conversation we share today will be of benefit to your listening audience. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Dave, hello. We'll not forget that you're here. It's nice to see you today. Welcome. Welcome. It's an honor for me to be with these two very classic women. So uh, thanks for including me in this conversation. And uh, I hope to uh, be able to just learn a lot today. 
Thanks, Allie. I'm really excited to dive into Annette's story. So Dave, if it's okay with you, I might just pop the first question out there. I know there's a whole story here and we're gonna get there, but I'm so curious where Freedom Facilitator comes from, how, like what that entails for you, what that is. Um, it just sounds so beautiful. I'd love to know more about it. Well, I was actually working with a, with a consultant a few years ago uh, Donna Dahl by the by her name and when she heard my story and what I was doing she said Annette you really have to have a title and she said it has to do with freedom it has to um, as a freedom facilitator I I help people let go of painful past experiences uh, fears that may be confining or controlling them self-limiting behaviors and beliefs and anything that, that seems to hold people back from, from living their very best life. And, and I guess it, it has come from some, a, a tremendous background of experience with painful experiences in my life that, that I've been able to overcome. I mean, the title of your, of your show, The Other Everest, I've had some mountains in my life that I've had to, that I've had to climb. And so as a freedom facilitator, I help people climb their mountains. Oh, that's so beautiful. So what are some of the mountains you've had to climb in your life that have set you up to be in this place that you're in right now, that you're, you're helping people kind of live their best life? Well, I think a really huge one was uh, I was serving as vice president of a large hospital in Toronto uh, when our youngest daughter and I were involved in a head-on collision. And it, was a, it wasn't my fault, but it was nearly fatal <clears throat> accident. And our daughter was in Sick Kids Hospital in intensive care, and I was in the Sunnybrook Hospital in intensive care. 13 broken bones, massive internal injuries, eight surgeries, four and a half months in hospital, didn't see or speak for three and a half weeks. And then to recover from that, and uh, that was a huge that was a huge mountain. But you know, I I learned early on that my attitude was everything. And every day in the you know as I exercised and physio treatments and therapy and. And it was like training for the Olympics. If you can imagine 13 broken bones, my body was like mush. And then with eight surgeries, you know, they were, I've got incisions and scars in places that people don't even have places. <laughs> but that was a huge mountain, a huge wow. mountain. But you know what? I came away, other people around me had been injured uh, and some were so angry, so angry. And they had a group of students coming through my, through my room one day. They were there on a learning experience about what drugs and alcohol can do. And one young man asked me, he said, aren't you angry about what all this has done to you? And I looked at him and I said, you know what? I don't have any energy to put forth toward being angry. Number one, she didn't intend to hit me, but number two, I, 
I want to put all my energy toward getting well and recovering. And you know, 17-year-old young man standing there with tears streaming down his cheeks said, I can't even imagine not being angry. See, here's, here's my passion. A lot of people, and there's some good books written and some lots of research done on what leaders do and how leaders act in a way that impacts people. What we're interested in and passionate about is not so much what leaders do, but how leaders became. How did you become? And I'm very interested in how you got to the place where resentment was not part of the recovery. How did you get there? Do you know? Many people, when I ask them, how did you become the kind of person that you are to make the kind of impact that you make in the world, it, it leaves them a bit speechless because we, we've never really actually stopped and thought about how we arrived there. Can you articulate that, Annette? Well, that's a very, it's a very deep question, David. And, and it brings some, you know, it brings some deep emotion for me because I haven't, haven't tapped into that for a while, that part of the story. But as I was, as I mentioned, I didn't see or speak for three and a half weeks uh, because of the because I was on all this life support equipment and all these tubes and I uh, endotracheal tube, I was on a ventilator and my body was so swollen that my eyes were swollen. So I didn't see with all these tubes, I couldn't speak. And I was in, I was in a drug induced coma. So I was barely moving and I wasn't really aware of what was going on around me. So my life was silent and it was dark, but you know, in those darkest moments, and I don't know what the faith background is of your audience, but in that dark silence, I suddenly felt as though I were being cradled, cradled like a mother cradles her child. And I knew without a shadow of a doubt, I was being cradled in God's arms. And he spoke to me and he said, Annette, I can't take away all this pain right now, but I will never leave you nor forsake you. My strength is sufficient for you. And my love for you is everlasting. When I came out of the, of the crisis so that I could finally speak, the only thing I wanted to talk about was what I had experienced in that in that absolutely unforgettable moment. And that gave me the courage and the positivity and the hope and the faith that whatever, whatever the outcome would be, I would be okay. I knew I was at death's door. Having a nursing background, I knew I was at death's door. And I, told, I, wrote, I wrote a note to my husband and said, I'm dying. I pried open. I motioned I wanted to write a note. I pried open. I could only with just blurry see. And I, I wrote the note, I'm dying. I want you to marry again. He was devastated. And, and of course, he prayed and cried and prayed and cried. When I was finally able to speak, that's what I wanted to talk about was what I'd experienced 
And when I told him what I had experienced, the tears streamed down his, uh, his face. And he said, honey, that was what I was praying for. I was praying for your peace. I was praying for your comfort. And I was praying that you would know that you were loved. That's really beautiful, I want to say. And you're uh, bringing me back to a moment in my life um, many, many years ago. Somebody I uh, valued and cherished deeply handed me the book, Heaven is for Real. Mm. One of the last times I was ever going to see her. And uh, wow. it, w- it was deeply impactful <laughs> for yes. me. Yes. And, uh, the book was deeply impactful. And um, yeah, so it was a very, it's very beautiful listening to you say that because um, after I read that book, I did a lot of reading on these near death experiences for people and what they go through. And, you know, I don't know what the uh, faith is of our listeners, but whatever your belief is, I do believe you are able to connect to something in these circumstances, which is very incredible. But I want to ask you, you know, so you, you find this peace in this moment and then you re-enter the world and this is this is the challenge that Dave and I face as leaders all of the time right you'll go back into the world and the pressures of the everyday will come back in what do you do or what have you continued to do in your life to hold on to this freedom and this peace and how how is this sustainable especially in today's world right and everything we're experiencing as humans, let alone each of us on our personal journeys and our paths, what have you been doing in that to stay in that place that keeps you out of that anger? Well, I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of praying. I do. I love people. I have a deep compassion for people. Um, I, My husband and I share some tremendous experiences. We read books together when we travel. We read books and then we stop and talk about it. And, you know, at least once or twice a week, we will sit in our living room and and read a chapter of a book and then discuss it. Do we always agree? No. But boy, does it open our eyes and we have fun. And and so I think personal growth and development regardless of what your what your background your faith background is keeping in connection with that is so very important you have a strong focus in your work around reconciliation and forgiveness yes and i'm wondering if it's the time to ask you to share where this emerged from (sighs) of course david um In 1999, I got this absolutely stunning news from my youngest brother, Rick, that that our oldest brother, Soren, had been murdered. Long distance trucker had been found shot to death in his truck in Virginia. I honestly thought I couldn't couldn't bear the pain. I'd been like a surrogate mother to my three younger brothers, my three brothers. I'm the oldest in the family. And so it felt like my heart was being ripped right out of my body to lose one of my brothers. And we didn't know for a year and a half who had killed Soren or why. And I'm ordinarily not an angry woman. 
but I was angry after Soren's death. Angry, we didn't have any answers, but how could somebody do this to my brother and why? I held, I, I kept my anger concealed. My husband knew that I was angry. He knew that I was struggling. He knew that I needed counseling. He knew that, and, and I went for counseling. But one night in an, in an angry episode in my bed, I, and Clay was right there beside me, sound asleep. I was trying to identify the type of person that had taken my brother's life. And I was listing the, the qualities of character that they must have had to be able to do such a horrible thing. And I listed angry, must be bitter, callous, dangerous, deceitful, evil, and the list went on. In fact, I went through the whole alphabet. I was so methodical. I was creating a picture of a monster in my mind. And there, right in my bed, I heard that voice again. And I've heard that voice several times in my lifetime. And I, so I recognize that voice as the voice of God. And he called me by name and he said, Annette, your brother's murderer is deeply wounded. Wow, that, that descriptor wasn't like the, the monster descriptions of the picture that I was creating. It was a, had a sound of compassion. And then he said, I love your brother's murderer as much as I love you and as much as I love your brother. I didn't want to hear that. Didn't want to hear the voice anymore. Put the pillow over my head, wrestled back and forth. But fine, I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew that it was true. So finally, I accepted it and fell asleep. Next morning at the breakfast table, I told my husband what I'd experienced. Now put, realize he knew how angry I was. When I told him the story about what I'd experienced, I then said, Clay, I hope the day will come that I can tell my brother's murderer how much he's loved by God. And I believe that there are people in prison that need to hear the same thing. Clay was stunned. Overnight, my anger had turned into something totally different. I've, I call it my midnight miracle. Then it was a year and a half later that we finally found out that, that there were three brothers, a mother and a cousin that were involved in my brother's death. They'd developed a racket and they, were not, they had not only killed my brother, but they'd killed another trucker and left a third trucker for dead. And, and they, this was across several states in the US. So it was considered a racket. And, and I, when, I, when, when that opened up, I said to Clay, I've got to get out of my motorcycle. And yes, I've been a biker, babe. I've, my last bike was a big, beautiful Harley, black with lots of chrome and, and loud pipes. <laughs> I love leather and chains. And I said, I've got to get out of my bike today. And so we went for a ride and we rode with several, several other bikers. There were 12 of us that day. And they didn't know what I had just learned that day or the day before. So we were riding along and 12, 12 bikers in our group. And 
I always, my bike had become a real instrument of healing. I did a lot of praying and talking and creating poetry as I would ride it, but I would focus on a, on a really positive quality that I wanted more of in my life. And that day I focused on the word acceptance because acceptance is a very important part of the grieving process. And I, I, um, was focusing on acceptance and I was praying, God help me accept the picture that's just opened up. But I was also saying, why, why, why is Sorn part of this picture? And as I was riding down the road, suddenly I heard the voice again. And this time he said, forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. I screamed out, no, 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 don't ask me to forgive. And I, I cranked open my throttle and I passed every other bike in our group. And they thought I was just kicking up my heels again because that's the way I am. I can't stay in a box very long. Enough. So they thought I was just kicking up my heels again. And then he said, forgive. And I, as I have forgiven you, forgive and I will forgive you. I was throttling my way through my pain. And then finally I realized, okay, if this is what you want of me, then you're gonna to have to make me willing because I'm not willing right now. You're gonna to have to make me willing and make it possible. Well, a few months later, I found myself in the courtroom in Virginia. The person who had pulled the trigger in Sorn's death finally confessed and he was being sentenced. He didn't have to stand trial. 10 members of my family presented victim impact statements and I had asked to be the last. And I read my victim impact statement. It was, I had spent a long time preparing that statement so that I covered everything. What was the impact of my brother's death on my family and myself? And at the end of my victim impact statement, I offered God's love and forgiveness and my own forgiveness to Travis. And you know, right there on the witness stand, after I had talked about the anger and the resentment and the anguish and the grief, but let, then letting go of it, I felt a sensation like soothing warm oil pouring over me. Now there was no oil pouring over me. <laughs> but since then, we've learned that, that science is proving that when we forgive and let go, we are actually healed at the cellular level. And I know I was being healed at the cellular level, right there on the witness stand, as a result of forgiveness and letting go. When I got up to go back to my seat, I was a transformed woman. Five people went away to serve the rest of their lives in prison in the United States but I came away a free woman. And that experience gave me a passion to help other people forgive and let go so that they too can experience freedom and peace. It's uh, obviously a very moving story. In this short amount of time, we can't do it justice, but it appears to be easy. It appears to be this process of forgiveness. In my words, it's not a, it's not a Sunday school platitude. 
there's something like our work is focused on authenticity. Yeah. And how does one get there authentically? I don't know if you're able to describe what it took to get there. The the pain and the anguish. This was not an it was it was a simple process, but I'm guessing it wasn't as easy as it what as what it might sound like now in retrospect. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good observation, and uh, David, because it wasn't easy. It wasn't just an overnight thing, and it wasn't easy. And and I think, I truly believe that going through that process of writing my victim impact statement, I was coming face to face with the pain. I was facing the issues of Soren's death, I was facing the pain that his death had caused. I was, I wrote, I'd write, and then I'd crumple and throw things away. I'd cry and I never held back. And I talked, I talked about what the pain was like. I'm bold and I'm, I, I'm out there. So I'm able to, I'm able to express myself and I'm able to share the tears without, without shame. But I think it was facing the issues and talking about it and writing about it and, and writing that victim impact statement and then sharing it in front of a courtroom packed with people. I, you know, every seat was taken in that courtroom, every seat. It was a, it was a very public case. But, but telling the story when someone, when someone is listening, even if it causes the tears to flow and the anger to be reignited, there's something about being heard, being seen and being heard that's powerful. Story is powerful. And I was telling the story of what Soren's death had done. So, so in answer to your question, I did a lot of praying. I did a lot of writing. I did a lot of speaking, talking, and, and I did a lot of processing and I did a lot of internal work with my own choices. Just three months before Soren's death, this is powerful. Uh, Three months before Soren's death, I attended a five-day seminar entitled Choices, Adventures of a Lifetime. And I learned there, and I've taken on this as a mantra. We may not have a choice in what happens to us, but we always have a choice in how we respond. And I made, after Soren's death, I made three very powerful choices. Number one, I wanted to be happy again. I would never be happy about what had happened. And I knew Soren would want me to be happy again. He was a happy person. So I wanted to be happy again. I didn't want to be consumed. And you know, it's so easy for us to be consumed by the pain and the struggle and the the anguish and the turmoil and all the stuff that we're being bombarded with. It's easy to be consumed. I didn't want to be consumed because there's other aspects of our life we need to focus on. And my third choice was I wanted to grow. I had no idea where those three choices would take me. Had no idea. But 
I've learned the power of positive choices. I, I reflect as you tell your story about uh, Nelson Mandela. Yes. 27 years unjustly imprisoned. Yes. And the first thing that came out of his mouth when he walked out of prison is let's forgive. Yes. And he, I, you know, we're very passionate about studying the human journey and what it takes to get mm -hmm. to a place that mm -hmm. is other Everest, in our words, we're through solitary confinement and years of working this through in prison. And uh, he, you know, he not only talked about how um, he had to leave his bitterness in prison or he would be bitter. Yes. yes, but yes. He, it also impacted the way that he was able to have the credibility to lead by that inner journey that he took. And what I'm very curious about, how did this actually impact the way that you are able to lead now in your life? This is what we are very passionate about. How did going through this experience make you a better person and a better leader? It definitely made me a better person, David. It made me a better person. I, it, it, um, I was more compassionate. It made me see beyond the stuff that people do. It helped me to, to put into perspective the, sometimes the very difficult, the, the horrible choices that people make. It, um, it made me want to listen more intently. It gave me the ability to, to, I mean, I've always been good at, or I've always been rather fearless in approaching situations of conflict. I don't like conflict, but I'm not afraid to talk about conflict because I believe that when we talk about conflict, that's when we can resolve it. So I believe I became better at that. Um, I became... I became a better speaker. I became, it impacted me in incredible ways. Some people have called me a story listener because of some of the, some of the stories that, that my husband and I hear because of the work we do in the prison setting and the work we do with people that are recovering from addictions. Uh, I'm, and as a coach, as a coach and a freedom facilitator, I'm constantly hearing and listening with a deep heart, listening to people's stories. Because the things that I learned and the things that God spoke to me really opened my heart to people in society. It opened me, my heart to people who've done terrible things. It's opened my heart to see beyond what what's on the surface. So in essence, I believe that it has made me a better leader, whether I'm leading in an organization, whether I'm leading in a committee that I'm part of or a board, as a board member, or whether I'm leading in life. Can you share a story with us as to how that showed up for you, whether that was an experience with somebody you worked with in the prison system you weren't sure about, or I don't know, I don't want to lead you too far, but is there an experience that comes to mind that really is a reflection of that for you? 
it's well, kind of on the spot, so you can take your time. Okay. And it's okay. And it's probably, it's a, it's a, a rather recent experience. It happened, it started in 2018. So it's just two years out. Um, a gentleman that had spent 25 years in prison read my book, Forgiveness, the Mystery and Miracle. He was serving in another province. And when he read my book and read my victim impact statement, he was serving, he was serving a Canadian life, uh, life sentence of 25 years because he had taken someone else's life. His, he wanted to apologize to his victim's family, but they were unreachable. So restorative options personnel contacted me to see if I would be willing to listen to his apology. And I mean, it wasn't just that simple. I mean, we talked back and forth, back and forth, and finally made arrangements and I flew to that other province. We met for almost eight hours the first day as a coach and a freedom facilitator, I'm, I'm good at asking the deep questions and I'm not afraid to, to touch those deep places. Uh, but I wanted to know, you know, what was his life like? You know, because this, this term deeply wounded, I wanted to know what was his life like, that what had contributed to him, what he had become. He had lived a wounded life. He was a child of immigrant parents when they came to Canada. Language was a barrier. His skin color was a barrier. He was bullied. He was an angry little boy because he didn't fit in. And so when he lashed out, he'd come home and he'd be beaten with a belt for getting into trouble. Rejected at times and abandoned, got involved with the wrong people and ended up doing some being involved just because he needed to be accepted, started doing things that young guys often feel is cool. And those crimes finally ended up in him killing somebody. I mean, now I've, you know, I've made the story short, but then came the apology. His apology was so deep, so real, and so meaningful. At the end, I said to him, and I'll just call him Reg. I'm not revealing his real name. And I said, Reg, on be and I was there as a surrogate. I was a surrogate family member. So I was sitting as a substitute for the family of his victim. I was sitting there in place of them, but I was also the sister of a homicide victim. But at the end, I said, I, I, I wish, oh, I wish that your victim's family could have been here to hear what I've heard today. And on behalf of your victim's family, I am offering you God's love and forgiveness. And I am offering you my own, my forgiveness. And you know, he broke down and sobbed and sobbed and sobbed and I held him in my arms. The next day we met for just a couple of hours to see how he was doing. And he said, you know, I feel like a totally different person. I feel like I've been through an earthquake. It's the most profound experience I've ever been through in my entire life. 
Reg and I have maintained a friendship. We write to each other. He's now out on day parole. His life, he is a gentle, loving, caring individual. He has a job in the trades. Just got a driver's license. Last week or the week before he told me, Annette, he said, I really want to go. I really, I feel impressed that I should go to the graveside of my victim. But I'm scared to, I don't know what to do. He said, I think it would be good for you to write a letter. Write a letter of apology and then read it at the, at the graveside. Somebody needs to go with you. His life is changing. He had this horrible story, but he's changing the end of his story. I told him to take off the, he said, I have this, I carry this heavy burden of what I've done and my deep sorrow. And I want him to take off that old identity because he's now creating a new story and to put on that new identity. That's the miracle of forgiveness and the, pow the power of apology and the miracle of forgiveness. Transformed life. He is redeemable. And I believe that, that people are redeemable. Well, Annette, um, something I've learned from Allie, she carries a motto around in her company and in her life that people make the world beautiful. And uh, you make the world beautiful today. You've uh, made me a better person from this conversation, and I thank you. Is there anything else that you would love to share with our listeners and our viewers here before we uh, wrap this up? Well, one thing I want to say and is um, I believe that there is nothing so deep, so dark, and so horrible that it can't be forgiven. Forgiveness doesn't excuse or erase the harm that's done because what's past is past. We can't change the past. But we, but we always have a choice in how we move forward. And so, you know, with my freedom formula, it's a five-step formula, but it's so important. Number one, face the issues. Face those things that are holding you back. Face those things that are causing you strife and turmoil and suffering. The second step is feel the pain. Don't be afraid to touch that pain and talk about it and write about it. Because those things that we can acknowledge, we can heal from. The third step is to make positive choices. Make the choice that you want to heal. Make the choice that you, that you want to get some help. Maybe you don't know how to do it. Get some help. Read some books. See your pastor. Go to a counselor. Contact me. I'd be glad to help you. As a freedom facilitator and coach, I'd be glad to help you. The fourth step is to let go of the hurt. You know, we wrap ourselves in chains, anger. Some people carry a badge of honor. They say, we never forgive. We never forget. We never, we never apologize. Well, you know what? I'll never forget that my brother, how my brother died. 
but we can let go of the hurt. We can release those chains that are wrapped around our hearts. We can release those handcuffs that handcuff us to our regret and our, our shame and our blame and our remorse. We can let go, but it takes positive choices. Let go of the hurt. And the fifth step is to feel the freedom. Give ourselves permission to celebrate the freedom. We feel free. I came away a free woman. I, and if I was able to do that, I know that you can. And your problems don't have to be as horrible as murder. It can be the stuff that happened yesterday in your home or in the workplace or the person that cut you off in traffic or, or a, somebody that was didn't treat you right or a family member that, that you've been holding holding animosity toward all these years. They did things that, that have hurt you. Make a positive choice to let go of the hurt. Let go of the hurt and forgive. Like I say, forgiveness doesn't excuse or erase. Forgiveness is the key to freedom because it sets us free. Would you like to let people know how to get a hold of you? Absolutely. You can find you can find me on my website www.annettestanwick.com. You can find me on Facebook Annette Stanwick. You can find me you can email me astanwick@me.com. Thank you for sharing your heart with us today. Mm, very thank grateful. you. Thank you for the opportunity, Allie. It was a, it's always a privilege to share. Um, never know what's going to come up, what the questions might be, but it's always a privilege to share. Because I know the mountains that I've climbed, and there have been many more in my life. I love your, your title, How uh, the Other Everest. I just, I know that you are pe helping people climb their own mountains in their lives. And I just hope that I can contribute to an, some other mountain climbing tools <laughs> that can help you scale those mountains in your lives. Because we all have different mountains. Well, you've really supported our work here because our notion is that, uh, that leadership comes when we look at the deepest, darkest parts of ourselves and that yeah. we go actually inward and downward yeah that yeah. um that success isn't just about height it's also about depth you're you absolutely right yeah you've reminded us of that today with the depth of your presence wow. the depth of your character and thank you for joining us on our journey and uh, you have touched many people and we'll touch many people with this light, with this message. Thank you, Annette. Thank you so much for joining us once again for another episode of The Other Everest. It's our mission to continue to bring you engaging, heartwarming, and inspiring content. So if you have any feedback or suggestions, please feel free to visit davidirvin.com at any time, as we would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please rate it or subscribe or simply share the episodes with people you know who would also enjoy this conversation. 
Authentic leaders create ripples in time. Those ripples extend to generations yet unborn. And it's not just impact in the here and now, but impact in here and forever. Thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts for being a part of this journey with us. Until we meet again. Thank you.